Good morning, Rethink Church. We're so lively today. I love it. Yes, it is a good day. You know, personally, I'm not going to lie to y'all, it was a hard week for me. But I, I find comfort in being thankful, right? When you have a hard time, I have a hard week, I find that I get encouraged when I think of all the things I should be thankful for. My family, my friends, my son, and even you guys. I'm very thankful for you. So in that spirit of thankfulness, I invite you to stand on your feet. We're going to sing this song with a thankful heart this morning. Amen? All right, church, here we go. Wandering into the night Wanting a place to hide this weary soul this bag of bones and I try with all my might but I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting a vagabond and just when to believe my doubts are burning like ashes in the wind yeah, yeah, yeah. so so long to my old friends that's burden and bitterness so oh, you can keep it moving no you're not welcome here from now till I streets and gold I'll sing of how you saved my soul this wayward son has found his way back oh you pick me up you turn me around you place my feet on solid ground I thank the master I thank the savior because you heal my heart you change my Come on, oh hell lost another one. I am free. I am free. I am free. Come on, church. Hell lost another one. I am free. Yeah, I am free. 
I am free. Oh, hell lost not the one. I am free. I am free. God, a shout of praise. Yes. So thankful for you, Lord. So thankful for your mercy. So thankful for your peace. Come on, anyone thankful this morning for Jesus? Lord, you've been so good to us. Not that we earned it or deserve it, but he's just that good. He's that kind. He's that generous. I want us to meditate on that this morning. Just the overflowing mercies of Jesus, his love for us. Six feet beneath 
and the things I've said, choices made that I regret.
We're so thankful for your goodness, God. Come on, anyone thankful for the goodness of God? Come on, can we just get excited this morning for Jesus and his goodness, his mercy, his love for us? We love you, Lord. We pray, Lord, as we continue with service, that you open up our hearts to receive, our ears to hear what you're doing this morning, what you're speaking to us, God. We call this service blessed. In Jesus' name we say, amen. You may be seated, church. It's awesome to hear the stories of life change, and it's awesome to hear the stories of what God is actually doing in our midst. And uh, just so you guys know, we are part of a network of churches, and we've got the leader of our network of churches, Mark Gorbett, who's going to come up and share a little bit. Uh, I'm so proud of what God is actually doing, just simply being part of what God is moving, not just here, but all the way throughout Indiana as well. Amen. And we're excited about what God is doing in this house, and praise God for the life change that's happening. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Uh, I'm like a major fan of your pastor and Heather are so grateful for their faith. They heard God's call and stepped out to plant this community. And what a joy it is to see how God is changing lives. God's on the move. Uh, I have a little luggage tag here. I don't know anybody traveling. Anybody travel? Yeah, anybody want a luggage tag? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, do you want a luggage tag? All right, there you go. You're ready for a big trip. Actually, the luggage tag on it says God is on the move, and it was 180 years ago that the first Wesleyan Methodist Church was planted in the state of Indiana. It was planted to fight human trafficking, to fight slavery, and they had two, this slogan. It said, no slaves and no bishops. So that's kind of how they started the church, and they started in Fountain City, and that church today is 180 years old, runs about 900 to 1,000 people on an average weekend of attendance. And from that church, a network of churches was created that today has 105 churches. Last year averaged a little over 11,000 attendance across the northern part of Indiana. Most exciting, last year there were 620 baptisms like Mike's and praise God for that life change. Amen. And that's like a record since before the pandemic. Like that's a really incredible. It's a, a move in the right direction. And then even more exciting than that was that there were over 1,100 decisions for Christ last year, up 35% over the previous year. So I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. Nora, you were playing that song, Turn Around, Turn Around song. Last time I sang that, I was in Zambia. There were like 400 Wesleyan leaders there. Uh, they have an amazing ministry, Wesleyan Network there. I got to be there. I'm going back in November. Uh, they're starting Africa Wesleyan University. They have a midwife's college, educational opportunities. If you ever want to go teach Great place to teach, amazing work. But that song was that that's the first time I heard it. I thought it was a Zambian song. I didn't know, right? <laughs> Shows how old I am. So I came back and like it's everywhere. But anyway, it was so cool just to see God's on the move through this network. And today, today you literally could uh, worship God in a Wesleyan church uh, between A to Z. You could go from Australia to Zambia. And I've been both of those places and just seen the amazing ways in which God has worked. But there's no more exciting place than Maryville. And the work that you do is most important for the kingdom. So keep on making a difference. Keep on supporting and loving one another and reaching out to people around you who need Jesus. And thanks for letting me come hang out with you today. Pastor Mark, God bless. All right. Good morning, Rethink Church. A uh, couple of announcements. If you're new or visiting with us, uh, we'd love to connect with you at our guest services. Um, it's out by our One Cup Cafe, and we have a gift for you guys just for being here. We'd love to answer any questions you have. Um, a few things are going on right now. Um, first of all, 
Um, children are going back to school here soon, and so um, we want to come around them in prayer. So if you want to uh, be a prayer buddy with some of our um, students, our elementary students and things like that, um, you can take your phone out, scan that QR code, um, and get signed up to um, just be a prayer partner for our students. Um, there's a little guide uh, that you can pick up on your way out today that can kind of walk you through what that looks like um, on the day-to-day, week-to-week. Um, so, uh, yep, it's okay to have your phones out if you are scanning. Um, and then next up, um, we have our rooted um, for the fall is going to begin on September 7th and run through November 9th. Um, and what rooted is, it's, um, it's a small group and it's kind of like if you are coming to Rethink Church, this is the first group you want to get in and is Rooted. Um, once you get through Rooted, we have banded groups, but um, we do like you to go through Rooted first. It's a really cool and unique experience. Um, it doesn't matter if you are brand new to the church, if you've been coming for years, it does not matter. Um, our group was really cool. I did it last fall. We had truly across the board where everyone was in terms of um, their walks in life, walks in faith. Um, but it was such a cool experience um, because you get to know these people on a deeper level. You get to um, learn how to get into God's word and into community and um, feel like you're a part of the church in a new and unique way because there's a really cool experience that are experiences that are tied to this group too. So there's a prayer experience, a serving experience. You get to have meals together. It's, it's really, really cool and unique. Um, so I do encourage you you guys uh, to try that out if you haven't um, done that so far. Um, so again, it's starting on September 9th, um, so you can get signed up for that. Um, and then lastly, I just want to thank you guys who give to the vision and mission of Rethink Church. Um, you know, nothing that we do here is possible without you guys giving, and so we're just really thankful that um, the Lord has filled this place um, with give, giving um, hearts and generous folks um, who not only care about this community, but also um, people in, outside of our church um, and all the way across the world. Um, so thank you guys. Um, we're so glad you could make it this morning, and I hope you guys enjoy the sermon. Chapter 5 they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, Send us to the pigs, so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about two thousand rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off, and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, 
and saw the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people, and report to them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. Uh, so Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20 is what we've been. And so what we've been doing the last few weeks is we've actually just been playing these audio clips of the, of the verses because here's the deal. I don't know if you're anything like me. Like, I'm dyslexic, so comprehending reading is a struggle. So I downloaded the Bible app. And I would encourage you, if you struggle at just finding a time, set one time, set a place, and find a way that you can read the Scriptures. And, that, and we've talked about this before, that when we read Scriptures, it's hearing from God, like what He's already said to us. And then we're going to pray back, okay, God, help me to live this out. Right? It's this conversational piece that we go. It's not just sitting there in osmosis, hopefully we get better at this, right? It's this active way of doing this. And so we're going to hear what God's already said, and that's through the scriptures, and then we're going to like take a moment and we're going to pray through this and say, God, help me to actually apply this to my life. What's that one thing on a daily basis? And so if you struggle and you're like, I can't really understand what I'm reading and all this, I would just encourage you, download the Bible app, go find an audio version of it, and it'll read to you as you're reading through that. And it'll help you out in that process. And those are the, some of those clips. And it doesn't go as slow. You can change the pace to that. So if you're like me, like if you listen to some podcasts on like 1.75, that's my normal pace. And Heather's like, I can't understand anything. And so she slows it way down. And I just can't. I get, I get bored. So you get to choose, right? Yeah, so there's that one. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to tackle this one phrase for a long time because that's kind of what we do. But when he says the phrase, going to the other side, this is a phrase that it means exactly what it means, but it also has layer upon layers of what it actually means. And here's what we're going to walk through today, just because if we just imagine if we documented everything that we actually say in our culture today, and then in 2000 years, so 4023, somebody in Kuwait finds our document and they study the English language, would they understand the cultural context of everything that we say, Right? So here in my classroom, I teach high, uh, middle school and I'm going to the high school this year. In my classroom, I don't understand half of what I hear. I hear phrases like slid into my DMs, and I'm like, that sounds like a personal problem, or slid up on, or we're not dating, but we're talking. I don't understand that one either. If you're talking exclusively, are you, is that not a date? Anyway, so there's that one. And then imagine if we brought in all the other aspects of our culture, the sports teams, the mascots, right? Do we really have bears in Chicago? <laughs> Probably not, right? <clears throat> All those kind of things. Like, think about hockey teams like the Nashville Predators. I hope we don't have predators in that city. But, like, <laughs> we have these mascots, and imagine they just pick it up, and they're like, oh, look at this culture. And they study, the, they study it all, but do they really understand the culture? Probably not. This is one of those phrases. So what we're going to do today is I want, to under, I want us to understand this whole thing. And imagine if they pick up the English language and they started going through the there, there, and there, those differences. Will they understand the English grammar there? Probably not. So that's all this part of this process. So here's what we're going to do. When, G, when we talk about going to the other side, 
geographically, they're going from the west side of the Sea of Galilee to the east side. Here's a picture of this. This is Mount Arbel, and you're going to see this little rectangle. Sorry, I think it's the... Well, here's the, uh, here's the actual area of it. You can see it's west of this uh, area and stuff like that. And so part of this process is they're showing this is this simple area. Politically speaking, it's also going to a different area. So here's a political map of that day. Uh, this next picture is the green is Herod Tetrarch. This is the sons of Herod the Great. And then the yellow is Herod Philip. And then the Decapolis is ran by this guy, the governor of Damascus. The Roman Empire, after Herod the Great, who we talk about in Christmas time, when he died, they were said, man, his kids cannot handle this. And so they broke this whole, whole area up differently. Polit or, sorry, that's the political side of it. The money side of it, they have these two major land routes. You have the intercoastal highway that runs along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and then what we call the King's Ridge Highway runs through the, the, the land part of it going up the Jordan area. Now, when we talk about walking on the roads... We just kind of think, yeah, we have roads everywhere here. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't have roads everywhere. So you went where the roads were. Does that make sense? And so you would just travel along here. And they would carry all this commerce and all this other stuff. And it, they intersect just north of the Damascus. And so politically speaking, when they go from the east, sorry, the west coast to the east coast, they're going from a different political area. They're going to a different culture. The west coast is very Jewish. The east coast is very Gentile and like extreme Gentile in a sense. And so part of this process is understanding that he, when Jesus takes his disciples there, he's not just crossing the boat. He's not just crossing Cedar Lake, right? He's literally leaving a territory and going to another one. The other aspect of it is a spiritual aspect. In the scriptures, and when you read throughout the scriptures, read through, especially in Genesis, every time that people move away from God, they move to the east. So, the Decapolis is this area that they call the, the area of the Gerasenes and stuff like that. Deca is 10. Polis is city. So there's a league of 10 cities. Now, when we say this, think about Big Ten Conference. Are there really big, 10 big teams in the Big Ten Conference? Now there's how many, right? We just added some more this next year. So it's this phrase of the Deca. There's a list of 18. There's a list of up to 20. <clears throat> but the, the, the Decapolis was planted, these 10 cities planted in somewhere in the third or fourth century BC by Alexander the Great. As the Greek empire was starting to advance, they didn't want to just have a military con conquest. They wanted to change the culture. They wanted to spread Hellenism and show how superior the Greek way of life was to the Eastern primitive, simple ways. Like in Israel, they only worship one God. How simple-minded could they be? And they couldn't even eat bacon. That's the idea here. Does that make sense? And so the Greek Empire, the, Alexander the Great, decided to put this on display and show how superior they were by not just simply changing and forcing people to do this, but to actually just put it on display here. And so there's six ways that they would do this, very simple. The first one was language, that they, they created the common language. Everybody spoke Greek, and that was the, the language of commerce. Very much like in, America, like in the world, we have the English language as the English, uh, the language of commerce. They had the Greek language. One of the sociologists I read said this, if you think of culture as a house, the language is the key that unlocks the front door. If you don't grasp the language, it's really going to be challenging to understand what's going on in the culture around you, right? And we have people here that in our, in our area, in our, in our geographical area in Northwest Indiana, that say if you can't go to a service, a church service outside of a certain language, 
then it's wrong. Like, you have to have this exclusive language. And I would just encourage you, just think through that. Like, is God the God of exclusivity in the sense of, like, holding back, or does he go to people and break down barriers? Or does he continually challenge them? So, there's that one. This, the second one would be the business. This is where the marketplace comes into play. And they would have business arrangements, not at the marketplace, but at the bathhouse. The bathhouse is where majority of these business decisions were made, kind of like our golf courses, right? We have a lot of business decisions that are made on golf courses, fishing trips, and stuff like that. That's the, that's the, the bathhouse. The third one would be religion. If you notice that there's all these temples all throughout the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire uh, previous to that, and there were some like big landmass land ones like Artemis and Ephesus, but they also had Pan, which is an open temple in Caesarea Philippi that you could just worship that deity in the open air. And so they weren't just centralized. They, they decided to spread this, this way of doing it. And then they had education. They would have gymnasiums. I'm so glad we've changed this process. But you went to school nude. And you learned you were trained in the nude. Thank God we don't do that. Right? That'd be just a weird... And it was all guys. Sorry, ladies. So you learned how to train in the nude. You did philosophy in the nude. You did arithmetic in the nude. And you'd be like... I'd be out. I'd be like, and peace out. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not going to sit around and debate all this other stuff. Put a toe on. You know, like, let's just get on with life. So, <clears throat> but for some reason, that's how they did it. And so this concept is going on in there. And that's how they, they just infiltrated the young generation, the younger generation, I should say, with new concepts. The better way of doing math. The better way of doing philosophy. The better way of doing all this other stuff. And then you also had um, the, the, the athletics. This is with the stadiums, the hippodromes, and stuff like that. And they would compete. Competition was huge in the Greek and the Roman empires. Like, if, if you were the best of the best, then you were the best of the best, and you get to, like, tell other people about it, right? And so this competition drive, this is where the, the idea of physical body comes into play, which we are still dealing with this in our own culture, aren't we? the body shaming and all this, they can see the remnants of the, 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 the empires and the philosophies in here. And then the largest one to me is the entertainment. If you wanted to change the culture, you didn't necessarily just mandate things, but you slowly started introducing the ideas and the concepts and the philosophies of this dif different culture into the theater. And here's what they understood. If you get people to laugh at it, they'll consider it. And if they consider it, then maybe they'll adopt it. And so just watch this, like, watch what we, if you go back into YouTube and you watch previous SNL things of 15 to 20 years ago, those are now realities of our culture. This is how it's been done for generations after generation after generation. So the question is, do we see any of those things going on in our own culture right now? And not only that, <clears throat> but Greek, the Alexander the Great, and, pre, and then the, later on the Roman Empire emperors, they considered the people that lived in the Decapolis cultural crusaders. They were showing off, they were putting on this cultural norm to the new, uh, to new territories, the far eastern part of the, of the empire. They were pioneers, and they were on the very edge of the empire with these two warring empires coming at them, trying to get back their land. You had the Nabataeans and they had the Parthians, and so they're eastern part of this world, trying to constantly do this, and so the Decapolis was there, not just to like hold the ground, but also to change the culture. But notice what Jesus does here. Does he avoid those people who are far from God? Or does he go towards them? 
It's so easy to identify the people that are different, identify people who are far from God. And in this Decapolis, here's what you would see. Imagine you're, you grew up on the eastern side, or sorry, the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and you could see the lights. You could see all the partying and all this. In the Decapolis, that's where the wealth was. That's where the technology was. They had time for leisure. They had the vacation homes. Isn't that ideal? Isn't that amazing to sit back and be like, man, you guys have time to sit back and watch sports? You're not working 12 hours a day or 16 hours a day. You have time to actually take it out and just sit, go to the theater, go to all this other stuff and have leisure. And then you also had unrestricted sexuality. And one of the monsters that you could see, think about is this, if you can imagine it sexually speaking, then it was offered in the Decapolis. Here's the deal. In 1984, Neil uh, Postman's book, he says this, if you want to control a people, don't inflict pain or fear, inflict pleasure. Because if you can create a culture that, is, that desires people willingly will enslave themselves to that culture. They will literally just continually do this. And think about this. Just, I'm just going to throw this out there. I know we talk about this a lot. What's your screen time on your phone? Are you really using it for entertainment? Or sorry, for education purposes to learn certain things? Or are you just entertaining yourself away? Have you willingly enslaved yourself to the little device in your hand? Or are you willing to say, okay, God, I just... I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something better. So for the Jewish people, when they look at this, when Jesus goes to the western side of the culture for the uh, Capernaum and Bethsaida and all that, to the Decapolis, it's not just a physical move, a geographical move. It's not just a political move. It's not just an ideal move. Like It's, it's a moral, it is a uh, religious move as well. He's, he's making this transition to go over there and to see what's going on here. One of the, the authors of this book that I read this summer, uh, The Visual Guide to the Gospel Event, says this, going to the other side of the, uh, of the Sea of Galilee was nothing less than crossing the enemy lines into the realm of Satan. Now, some of you would say you probably work in the realm of Satan, that like maybe your boss is Satan himself, right? Like, I get that. But here's the deal. Like, what we notice is that Jesus continually goes towards these places. This won't be the only time he shows up in the Decapolis. And he brings his disciples with him. Remember, Jesus is not just our Lord. He's not just our Savior, but he's also our model. The way that we live our lives should be modeled after the way of Jesus. And what we see here is that Jesus doesn't avoid them. He doesn't look down upon them. The scripture says that he has compassion for these people. When you did your acts of kindness this, year, this, this week, did you do this with compassion? Or did you do it with pity? When you went out and you shared, the, like you did your acts of kindness, you probably left a $100 tip for the waiter, and you're like, man, this is so awesome, and you left that little card, was it in compassion, or was it like, I feel like I should do this, so here it is. I hope you didn't do this with like a 1% tip, by the way. I hope you went above and beyond on your tipping and stuff like that. And if you're wondering what we're talking about, we just have these cards that we say, hey, they just, I think they just simply say, you matter to God or Jesus, and so you matter to us as well. And it's just a simple act of kindness that you can leave. And so we challenged everybody last week, go out and do this. And just simply, let's flood Northwest Indiana, Maryville specifically, with the love of Jesus through this. And so when we talk about this, it's the idea of taking compassion, not just simply having like sad feelings. What compassion is in the, in the Greek, in the original language here, is that there's this movement towards action. It's a loving action towards something. And this is what Jesus has. He has compassion for the people of the Decapolis, and so he goes to the Decapolis. And he's, he knows he's being watched. By the religious leaders, he knows he's being watched by the people of Capernaum and Bethsaida and all that. 
and, he said, and yet he still does this, right? And here's the deal. I just want to point this out. Some of us, when we read through the people, the wealth, the, the, the technology, the leisure, here's the deal. When you and I live here in America, we have wealth that nobody, like people in other parts of the world would only imagine to have. We have leisure in more ways than we ever thought of, than other people have thought of. Did anyone have to walk two miles to get clean water today? You're wealthier than most people in this world. Did anyone have to make a decision of what you're going to wear today? Or you just wake up and say, well, this is the only outfit I have, so I guess I'm going. If you had to make a decision on what you're going to wear because you have multiple choices of clothing, you have wealth beyond measure, the idea of most people in, the, in this world. And so part of this process is understanding where we come from. But here's the deal. I just want to make sure we understood this. Jesus does not avoid the Decapolis. The people who are far from God have a completely different worldview than God. The people who are just way on the outer edge, Jesus sees them for who they are, even if they are deemed cultural crusaders, which we live in a, cult, we live in a world that has cultural crusaders. There's ideologies, there's agendas, and people are like, man, I'm a cultural crusader. They may not use that term, but they're advocates or all this other stuff, and they're, they're carrying a banner of some kind of alliances and allegiances. So you can either follow the way of Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He moves towards them, doesn't he? Does he move towards them to judge them? Or does he move towards them to show the love of Jesus towards them? He shows them that he loves them by showing up. And if you really want to show the love of Jesus, sometimes showing up is the biggest thing you can do. Listening to people, caring for people, not passing judgment. Notice what he's not doing on the way to the boat. They don't document this in the, in the scriptures, but he's not telling them, hey, we're going to show the, like, to the disciples. I'm not here to show you who to avoid. I'm here to show you how to live this out, right? And so as soon as he gets out of the boat, what's he do? He's met by the one guy in the gospel of Mark so far that knows exactly who he is. Everybody else is kind of questioning who Jesus is, right? The religious leaders, they're coming in to study him and to say, man, is he real? Like all these miracles that we hear about him and all this, the Pharisees are coming from Jerusalem to question and to investigate him. Even his own disciples in Mark chapter 4 ended it with saying, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. There's questioning after questioning, except for this one person. Which, by the way, he's a demon-possessed person. So I'm not like, yes, I'm going to go after that one. Like, the demons know who he is, and they shudder. If you are confident in who Jesus is all the time, check your, check your alliances. If, you've, if you see Jesus moving, and it's like, Jesus, are you really moving here? You're in good company. Because I think Jesus moves in ways that are mysterious at times. There's certainty to it, yes, but then there's moments where you're like, whoa, God, you're doing something that I've never seen before. You're doing something that is refreshing and it's renewed and it's all this other stuff. If he's asking you to do something that you've never been asked to do before, it may be the move of God. It also may just be that late night Taco Bell you had. You need to understand where it's coming from. And this is where discernment comes into play, isn't it? This is where community comes into play. You do, like, following Jesus should never be an alone sport. It's always a communal sport. You go to your community and say, I think God is asking me to do, do this. Does this sound right? And you seek counsel in this. It's never just, God told me, so I'm doing it. Hardly ever does he actually work like that. There's usually some form of community. There's usually some form of wisdom seeking and what's next for you and all this. If you think you can do this on your own, you're better than the other 2,000 years plus of church history. I'll just leave it at that. So there's that one. So this one guy knows exactly who Jesus is, and he, he greets him as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, right? 
there's going to be a, the, I think it's, it's image something, Raj. If you go to that last picture, this is the site where Jesus gets out of the boat. This is a video of it. And um, the, this is, we're at the Sea of Galilee right now. We're on the eastern side of this. And you can mute this shadow real quick, sorry. So here's, they're just, we're just panning over it. And this is the site of it. You can see how steep this grade is right here. That black cluster right there that's in there, that's the tombs. Those are still tombs, a site of tombs right now. This is where the man lived. So as soon as he sees Jesus get out of the boat, he's right there. And what's he say? Jesus, what do you want with us? Son of the Lord, Most High God. And their idea that it wasn't just God, Yahweh was the only God. He was the Most High God. He, they, they saw Yahweh as the God over all the pantheon, over Zeus, over Jupiter, all that other stuff. And so when he says this declaration, he's saying exactly who Jesus is. And what does Jesus say? He's trying to drive him out, but he says, what is your name? Right? Who are you? He doesn't avoid him. He shows him humanity. I think when we interact with people who are far from us, let's bring back the humanity part of this. It's so easy to pass judgment. It's so easy to be like, oh, you're different. You voted this way, whatever. Like, I can't believe you could. How can you vote? Like, how many of you guys have heard this before? How can you vote for whoever that is and still be a Christian? How, who are you to judge? Maybe God's leading this way. Maybe they've prayed about it. Maybe they just, like, how about you take some time and bring back the humanity in this interaction? And you get to know them as being a human. And if we ever show up to a church where everyone looks the same, acts the same, and votes the same, you didn't show up to a church, you showed up to a cult. So be aware of that. There should be some diversity, and there should be, you should be able to learn from each other and say, hey, can you help me understand your political view on this? Russell and I were just talking about how how toxic the political nature is of everything, not just in our churches, but like around us. And we started sharing, hey, this is where I get our news, and this is the podcast we listen to, we get our news. And it's so interesting to just hear the different vantage points uh, of political views and stuff like that and say, okay, then this is the most political you'll hear me get. Should you vote? Yes. I don't care who you vote for. There you go, right? Go out and vote whenever that happens. That's the most political you hear us get. So here's the deal. When it comes down to it, the way that we interact with people should be a humanizing way of doing this, right? And so as he's doing this, he's interacting with them, all of a sudden they, he, the man replies back, we're a legion, because we're many. Now most of us would be like, peace out, we're gone, right? <laughs> you just heard a guy who's like demon-possessed, not by one demon, but like many. I'm sure those disciples were like, get in that boat, let's go back home. Like, what the crap are we doing here, Jesus, Right? I'm sure Peter's like literally turning the boat around and Jesus is like, okay, let's talk. Imagine being the disciples like, seriously, God? Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, we're off now in the weird part of this world. Now we're talking to a demon, many demons. But here's the deal. And I don't, know, I don't have the understanding of the theology and all this, but for some reason, it wasn't enough for, for Jesus to drive out the demon out of the man or the demons out of the man. They like somehow bartered about like, how about this herd of pigs? And I'm not a scholar enough to know why they had to do this you can do your own research and just vet it with, you know, theology and stuff like that. But for some reason, this herd of pigs, about 2,000 pigs, which that's a massive herd, like a, far, a, a family farm to own type thing, would maybe have 50 animals because that's the amount of people, the, the animals that one person or two people can handle. 2,000, that's a huge thing, even in a Gentile world area. That's just a lot of overhead to take over, 
Imagine trying to protect that many. How are you going to feed this many? That's why they're grazing and they're doing all of this. Unless you remember where they're at. They're on the edge of the empire. There's a massive Roman garrison right there that needs to protect the Decapolis. The Decapolis people were feeding the army and the army was protecting the people of the Decapolis because there's two warring empires that are trying to continually take this back, the Nabataeans and the Parthians. And so they're going to feed this Roman garrison with his pigs. And now because this Jewish rabbi shows up, he drives out the demons because he sees, Jesus sees this, this man's salvation and soul way more important than profit and way more important than feeding him army and stuff like that. Imagine a world where people were more important than animals and profit. It's been done before. So here's that. And then here's the, you, the reason the people get so mad is how all of a sudden now the tribute that they had to pay for the Roman garrison and to keep them at, be, at peace is now drowned at the, dead, the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Imagine you had your tax money ready for the government in April and somebody just took it. Would you be a little upset? Probably. This is exactly what's happening. But all of a sudden, something took place where the man now in verse 18 says, Jesus, can I go with you? Doesn't that sound like a legitimate reason or a question to ask? You just delivered me. I want to go with you. I'm going to learn you. I'm going to be your disciple. What does Jesus say? No, nope, not today. Stay here. How harsh, like how disappointed would you be? Like, I'm going to do exactly like all these disciples are doing, and I just want to do it. Would, you, would anyone else play the comparison game here? Like, why do they get to go? Why can't I go? Why can't, like, all this? But the, he doesn't. What the man does, he says, okay, what do you want me to do next? And Jesus says, go throughout the Decapolis and tell everybody what I've done for you. He becomes the first evangelist that we see in, this, in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, sorry. And why is that? Because of his obedience. He lives out what we just learned in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the, of the, of the soil. He removes the rocks. He gets his, his, his soil ready for the blessing of God, the 30, the 60, and the 100-fold blessing of God. Not by comparison and, and whining and complaining, but simple obedience. When there's simple instructions given, the only thing required is simple obedience. Go talk to that person. Should you debate about it? Do you understand it? Or do you just need to go talk to that person? Go talk to that person. Smile? Okay, you can do that. Hold the door open for somebody. Hey, bless somebody with the acts of kindness. Go from there. How about you share your faith? All that. As a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to understand. There's always going to be the next right step for you. The most important step you'll ever take is the next right step. Whatever, that, whatever God is asking you to do, whatever that looks like for you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, I would encourage you. Baptism would be your next right step. You can sign up, we'll fill the tank up, you'll tell your story, we'll celebrate as well. Because it's this, it's this action where you tell your story of how you're going from death to life. You're, you're putting your old way aside and you're stepping into whatever God has in store for you. What's next? And that's this part of baptism, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you took some time out of your weekend and you decided to hang out with us. And I would just encourage you to consider the way of Jesus. Admit your sins, Believe that, you believe that Jesus is who the scripture says he is and commit your ways to him. The psalmist says that it's not our sin that actually separates us from God. It's the pride that keeps us from admitting our sins that separates us from God. God knows your sins. You're not going to surprise him. But if you come to him and humbly admit your sins, then he starts the process of salvation. 
through forgiveness. The beautiful thing, the reasons that I talk about this a lot when I was in college trying to figure out who I was going to be ordained with and all this other stuff, the biggest thing that I wanted to walk through was making sure that I found somebody, an organization, a denomination, whatever, that wasn't just about the numbers, if that makes any sense. But a theology that would say you can be freed from the penalties of sin and freed from the power of sin as well. And the way that we get freed from the penalty of sin is Jesus. The way that we get freed from the power of sin is the Holy Spirit working in us step after step after step. Will you ever get perfect? The debate's out. I'm going to say probably not until heaven. How about that? I believe you get better, and I believe you get more in Christ, if you will, but you have to put those things to death, and your life should look different now than it did 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 10 days ago, because you're becoming more like Christ. And that's what this looks like. So we're going to pray. And I would just encourage you to consider that. If you need prayer for anything after service, I'll be back at the green wall. And I just want to encourage you, what's your next right step? Are you moving towards the people who are far from God? Or are you finding ways to not talk to them? And let the Holy Spirit lead as you do this. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are and everything you've done for us. God, I pray you just watch over us and guide us. And God, for those of us who are sitting here wondering what your next right step is, God, I pray that you would make that clear. That you would bring clarity into us. You're a God that surprises, but you're not a God of confusion. You want us to have a clear understanding of what's next. God, for us, some of us who are sitting here, and we're not even followers of Jesus, we're considering, we're exploring faith, God. I pray that you would show up in a real way. That we would show up and we would admit our sins. That we would believe that you are who the scriptures say you are. And that we would commit our ways to your ways. And that you would transform us from the old into the new. That we would be freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you went to the other side of the lake and that you continually go to the other side to seek out the people who are far from you. And I pray that we would find you and that we'd be obedient to you. We love you, Jesus. Genuinely pray this. Amen. Well, if you need prayer for anything, I'll be back at the Green Wall. I'd love to connect and pray with you. If you're new with us, stop in and get services. But church, I hope you know this to be true, that God loves you, and I love you. And as we follow him, encounter the best he has to offer for us. So let's go and be the church. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.